0: chapter 8 this morning, Proverbs chapter 8, Proverbs chapter 8, let's have a, a moment of prayer here before we get into everything, Lord just thankful to be here, thankful for the people that you brought out, I just think of Psalm 122. I was glad when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord. We are glad to be here, to hear what you have to say. Lead and guide us through your word, your Holy Spirit. Teach it, we listen, and help us to apply it in all ways and all things. In your name, amen. Proverbs chapter 8. Continuing our study here through the book of Proverbs. Um really kind of starting next week. This is kind of our last real teaching, per se. And what I mean by this is this. When you normally think of Proverbs, you probably normally think of the little one, two sentence nuggets of Proverbs. That really starts to happen in chapter 10 and a little bit in chapter 9. The first few chapters of Proverbs are what I like to call teaching Proverbs. This idea of teaching on the concept of wisdom, this idea of teaching on this concept of what we're supposed to be learning and grasping and then it takes this and it applies it then to the rest of the book of Proverbs. So it's so vitally important for us to kind of get this groundwork laid of what wisdom is, and then go apply it in our daily living. Remember, Proverbs it doesn't have a lot of end times theology. It doesn't have a lot of tough theology in itself. It's daily practical godly living. This idea of what is wisdom. Wisdom's God's way of thinking. God's way of doing it. So wisdom is. Let's put this into practice and see what it looks like. So with that being said, let's jump right into this Proverbs chapter eight, verse one. Does not wisdom cry out and understanding lift up her voice? She takes her stand on the top of the high hill. Besides the way where the paths meet, she cries out by the gates at the entry of the city, at the entrance of the doors. To you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. O you simple ones, understand prudence, and you fools, be of an understanding heart. Look at this idea right here. Crying out. Look at the words here in the first five verses of Proverbs 8. Cries out, lift up, high hills, where the paths meet, the gates of the city. It just kind of reminds me of this idea of billboards along the road, that they're high and big and lit up so you can see them, and they want you to stop and pay attention to them. Wisdom is crying out for you. Wisdom says, I want to have a relationship with you, and I want you to know me, so therefore I can lead you and guide you into all ways and all things. And I know it sounds hard, but wisdom is actually easy. Once again, look at the wording here. Cry out, lift up, high hills, paths meet, gates of the city. It's easy to find. Because take a look at verse 8, same chapter. All the words of my mouth are with righteousness. Nothing crooked or perverse is in them. They are all plain to him who understands. And right to those who find knowledge. God's word is plain. It really is. I think we try to complicate God's word. It's actually plain. It doesn't take a lot to understand. And let me give you a couple examples. Do not commit murder. Don't think we need to do a real study on what that means. Do not lie. Those are pretty straightforward things. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Gotcha. Who's my neighbor? Jesus already answered that. These things are plain. Mark Twain has a great quote about this. He goes, it's not the parts of the Bible I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. And there's a lot of truth to that. We hear it, we know it, and then we have to apply it, and that's what makes it difficult. We sit here and we wonder and try to figure out Ezekiel's message of laying on his side for 430 days. Okay, that's important. We'll get to that eventually when we do Ezekiel. But for right here, right now, what does God want me to do today? It is plain, and it's right there, and we just need to follow it. Now, the problem is verse 17. I love those who love me, same chapter, and those who seek me diligently will find me. That's the idea of diligently seeking wisdom. I'm not trying to pick on you guys because I do the same thing. There's a lot of times when we need wisdom, the situation pops up and we have this quick little 30-second prayer, Lord, give me wisdom, and then we wonder why we don't have a clear understanding of what the Lord wants us to do. We want to stop and say, can't God just make his will so perfectly clear? You've heard me joke about this before, this idea of the magic eight-ball God. Just shake him up and see what he says to do, and then you do it. But he does make his will clear. He does it via prayer, his word, worship, teaching, the body of Christ. But the question comes up, verse 17, are you willing to diligently seek him? Sometimes you have things coming up, and it may be weeks in advance. And you come up and you tell me you're worked up, you're nervous, you're anxious about it. And I get that. And I usually say this, but God gave you three weeks to pray about it. He gave you three weeks to fast about it. He gave you three weeks to seek the scriptures. He gave you three weeks to pray. So therefore, you know it's coming up. He's given you time to be diligent to seek him. And you may stop and say, okay, what about the times where I don't have that forewarning? Okay, you've lived enough on this earth to know problems are going to pop up that you don't know about, but you know they're going to pop up anyway. I set aside one morning every week where I fast and pray for things that I don't know that are going to happen, but I know they're going to happen. I have a time where I just stop and say, okay, Lord, there's going to be a conversation this week that I'm not going to know what to answer, so I already want to start praying for wisdom now. There's a time where I know I'm going to run into something deep and I'm going to run into something evil. I'm going to run into something satanic and I want to be ready and prayed up for this because you said sometimes prayer and fasting. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I want to be prepared for it. And so I'm telling you, there's this daily diligently seeking him for wisdom. And there's one more word we need to add to this idea of diligently seeking him. Can you go with me now to James 1, please? James 1. The Lord wants you to build a relationship with him where you are diligently, faithfully seeking him via prayer, the word, worship, the teaching, the body of Christ, the Holy Spirit. He wants you to use all these different mediums to get a hold of you, to lead you and guide you. And he's made it clear that he cries out for us, and he will respond to us if we ask him. Take a look here at James 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally, generously. Without reproach, meaning he won't condemn you. He won't get angry at you for asking him. And it will be given to him. If you ask for wisdom, God promises that he'll give it to you. Now we just read in Proverbs eight 17, you're supposed to ask and seek diligently. Now here's our other word, verse 6. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For not let that man suppose he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. He's not asking in faith. It's just a quick little, Lord, what do you want me to do? But he's really thinking, what do I want to do? This idea of really stopping and diligently, faithfully seeking the Lord in wisdom, God promises you he will give you that wisdom and he'll give it to you generously and he wants to bless you with that. But if you have this double-mindedness, one foot on earth and one foot in heaven, you're unstable, the Bible says. Because you're truly not seeking the things of the Lord. You're truly not seeking what God wants. You're just kind of giving him a little bit of influence in your decision. Rather than stopping saying, I'm nothing. I'm a vapor. You need to lead me and guide me into all things. So I can't stress to you enough. When it comes to seeking the Lord. Seek him diligently. Verse 17, Proverbs 8. And seek him in faith. James 1. When you seek him diligently and in faith, he promises this. We'll go back to verse 17 of Proverbs 8. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. Wisdom is out there. It is plain. It is there for us to grab. We have to be willing to put the effort into it. doesn't matter how simple you are. Take a look at eight five. Oh, you simple ones. Look at 9 4. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Simple, naive, it doesn't matter. God wants to lead you, guide you, and give you wisdom. And what a beautiful picture that is. Now, what does this wisdom look like? Verse 6. Listen, for I will speak of excellent things. And from the opening of my lips will come right things. For my mouth will speak truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are with righteousness. Nothing crooked or perverse is in them. Look at the description of the wisdom he gives. Verse 6 and 7. It's excellent, it's right. And it's truth. Look at the opposite, starting in 7 and 8. It's wickedness, it's crooked, and it's perverse. Pretty black and white right there. Excellent, right, truth. Wickedness, crooked, perverse. How are we supposed to tell this? Because it's our lips, it's our mouth. That's what it says in 6 and 7. My mouth will speak truth. Wickedness is abomination to my lips. 8, all the words of my mouth. We taught on this a couple weeks ago. Your words... Reveal your heart. Matthew 15 makes it very clear. Out of the mouth proceeds the thoughts and intents of the heart. I'm just telling you, listen to somebody. Listen to what makes them laugh. Listen to the jokes they tell. Listen to what they want the conversation to be turned to. Listen to what makes them passionate in a conversation. And you're seeing their heart. I hope it's the things of the Lord, and I hope it's the things of eternity. But to be quite honest, when you're talking to someone and you hear their their words coming out of their mouth, you get a glimpse into their heart. And that can be scary sometimes. Let's build on this. Can you go with me to James 3? If people would just listen to your words, what's your heart revealing? James 3. Is it excellent? Is it right? Is it truth? Or is it wickedness, crookedness, and perversiveness? The tongue is powerful. Words are absolutely powerful. With words, we can build somebody up. With words, we can tear somebody down. Take a look right here in James chapter 3. Let's go ahead and start in verse 5. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a force a little fire kindles. You guys know that. You've seen the news. What one match, one flame can do to mile after mile after mile of a forest fire. Verse 6. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire by hell. Your tongue is that powerful. Now, you've heard me use this example before. Go back to kindergarten. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, right? Okay, you realize that's a bunch of baloney, okay? Words hurt. They hurt. If I have to choose between physical pain inflicted by somebody that is an accident and they don't mean it, I'll take the physical pain. But words, I can remember what people said 10, 20, 30 years ago. Words are still there, and they come back up in mind. And then you try to forgive, you try to forget, but they're still there. Those wor- words are, are painful sometimes. They hurt. And if you've ever been in any type of argument with somebody, and the emotions start coming up, and you start saying things you shouldn't say, and you realize, this proverb says, as soon as those words are coming out of my mouth, I, I can't take them back. And it can damage, it can hurt, and it can hurt relationships, and it can cause problems. It is a fire set on by hell. Verse 7, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Proverbs makes it clear. If you want to know if you're mature in the Lord, take a look at your words. Your words reveal your heart, like Jesus said. Verse 10, out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. So we can sit here and sing worship songs to God. We can quote verses, then we go home and snap at our wife and our kids. We can sit here and sing songs as the body of Christ, but then we can tear each other down. It doesn't make sense. Verse 11, does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. I want you to remember this verse, Proverbs 18.21. Proverbs 18.21 that the mouth, the tongue, has the power of life and death. Think about that. Your words have the power of life and death, Proverbs 18, 21. I'll give you an example in my household. and I think I've shared this with you before. Our, our third son, Kenan. Kenan is a fun little guy, absolutely fun little guy. And we started noticing a couple years ago, Kenan just kind of did things his own way. He did things his own unique way, and it kind of seemed like he just didn't think things through sometimes when it came to doing stuff. And we thought, okay, he's the third of five boys. I don't know what's going to happen with this. You know, it's just kind of genetically, we don't know what's going on here. And he would just have, like, no fear. He has no fear of anything. He would just go out and just do stuff. And it made me upset. It made me frustrated. And I would say, Kenan, you got to think. You're not not thinking, bud. And it would get to this point of frustration of where, you know, Kenan would just kind of go do his own thing. And it's like, Kenan, you're not thinking this through. Because he was a little too big to be with the little buddies. And he's not quite big enough to be with the big buddies. And so Dawn was reading this book one time about just boys and how boys are different than girls, etc. And I think I've used this example before. They talked about with boys that the mom would go out and see the boy on top of his roof. And he had built himself a cape. And he was getting ready to jump off the roof. Because that idea of, I'm going to fly. And the mom says, come down, you might break your arm. And what a boy hears is, I might break my arm which means I also might not break my arm, so there's a chance and I should jump off the roof to see what's really going to happen. That's Kenan. And it got me frustrated, and it got me frustrated to the point of my words were not gentle with him, and my words were not encouraging with him, and it was this constant battle. Read Proverbs 18, 21, the power of my mouth, life and death is in the power of the tongue. And all of a sudden I read in a commentary and I read in this devotional about your words as a father, and I started changing how I speak to Kenan. It's now where Kenan does something. And he's kind of not thinking it through. I go up to him, I say, Kenan, you know what God's called you to be? You're going to be a missionary because you have no fear. You have no fear in any way whatsoever. God says, go to South Africa, and you're just going to leave the next day on the plane. My other boys would pray and fast, and he would say, no, God said, go, I'm going. You have no fear. And so, Kenan, what we need to do now is take that no fear that God has blessed you with and now apply wisdom to your no fear. And now when I look at Ken and do a Kenan thing, it's like, oh, man, that's my future missionary. And all of a sudden, he starts talking that way. And he'll say, like, where do you think God's going to send me to go? I don't know, buddy. he would start praying about it. We sometimes, we love to go to BGSU, the college campus. And we love just to walk around as a family and just witness to people. It's just something we like to do. And so it's kind of weird. There's nine of us. And we're just kind of making this laugh. I don't look like the typical college kid. But I'm walking around. And I just start talking to people. We went out last uh, Resurrection Sunday and just, we're going to hand out tracks, you know, about the resurrection of Jesus. And so we're handing them out. We're just talking to people. And there was two guys over in one of the fields playing frisbee, just two guys by themselves, college kids. Kenan said, do you care if I go over and give them a track? Go ahead. Kenan by himself goes over, gives the guys a track and sits there and talks to them for a bit. Now we're 50, 100 feet away. I don't know what they're saying. And he's talking to them. Comes back. Kenan, what did you say? told him this resurrection Sunday this is the day that Jesus rose from the dead and I gave him the track yeah that's the future missionary no fear I have other boys that I'm not picking on if I said hey go give them a track they, they wouldn't Kenan has no fear Proverbs 18:21. my words can either be life or death to him and I had to stop and say okay Lord he's going to be a blessing in his own way Lord let him go be a blessing same with any of the other boys My oldest one, Elias, the oldest boy, obviously, that leadership wants to be in charge. Okay, I could either battle him on that, or I can stop and say, listen, in the future, you're going to be in charge of something. I don't know what. My oldest sister, I know what she's like. I married an oldest. (laughs) Oldest children are awful. I'm just telling you that right now. But God's got something special in you, Kenan. I mean, into Elias. You are the oldest, and he's going to use it. And it just—and I try to stop and say, okay, that trait that frustrates me, what can I see that's going to be a biblical thing? Judah's got a heart. He's got such a soft heart. So, Judah, I think the Lord's called you into ministry because you just love people. You just love people. Laden, our fourth one. Laden, you're just bad. I don't know. I don't know what God is in store for you yet. But I don't know. So, but we're just going to keep praying. Words. Words are powerful. Please remember the power of your words when talking to people and dealing with things. Once again, Proverbs 8, your words can be excellent, they can be right, they can be truth, or they can be wickedness, they can be crooked, and they can be perverse. Now, words tear things down. And it just absolutely fascinates me when I see the body of Christ and words attack each other. I see spouses attack each other. Parents and kids, I, it, it makes no sense to me. I, I want to build on this point one more time. Can you go with me now to First Corinthians three? First Corinthians three. I don't get what good comes out of us attacking one another. Take a look at First Corinthians three. Don gave me a book to read recently, and I'm only a couple chapters into it, but it's quite good. And there's this point that he had at the beginning, and, I, and I've never thought about this before. It's First Corinthians three. We're going to start in verse sixteen. And this is a verse that we all know 1 Corinthians 3:16 Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? We talk about this all the time. The Holy Spirit lives inside you. It's an amazing thing. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You are the temple of God. But then verse 17 If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. I've read that. I've taught 1 Corinthians But I started seeing this in a new light after reading this. New Living Translation says it even more direct. Verse 16, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and the spirit of God lives in you? God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. God destroys people that destroys the temple and I'm the temple. So therefore when I destroy the body of Christ with my words, God says, I'm going to destroy you. Because you're going after my temple, my people. Now, let me build on this for a little bit. A lot of people don't realize this, but they had armed security at the temple. If you were an unclean Gentile and you wanted to run into the temple to defile it, you wouldn't make it in. You'd be killed. You're allowed to do that because you kept the temple holy. That was the idea. So this idea of the temple being important special. And this author makes a point. He says, imagine back to when they built the temple in Solomon's time. And they're doing this amazing service. And they're dedicating the temple. They've sacrificed all these animals. And they stop and say, the temple's open. And then some guy picks up a sledgehammer and runs at it and starts tearing it down. And the author makes the point saying, do you not realize as the body of Christ, sometimes that's what we do to each other? Hey, you're part of the body of Christ. I'm part of the body of Christ. You're the temple. I'm the temple. But I'm going to tear you down with my words. God says, "I'll destroy you for that." Now you may stop and say, "Okay, does this mean we can't say anything?" No, I I made a little list here, and these are all scriptural. So I want to remind you a couple things when it comes to speaking. Remember, we're using that connection there from Proverbs eight: excellent, right, truth—that's wisdom's words, lips. Wickedness, crooked, perverse. First thing, when it comes to talking about other people, you can speak the truth to them. There's nothing wrong with speaking truth. Don't water it down. Speak truth. So that's your first point. When you're going to talk to someone, speak truth to them. Say what you mean, mean what you say. Next one builds on that, though, say it in love. See, Ephesians says speak the truth in love. So I want to speak truth, and I want to speak that truth in love. Next point, I want to speak the truth in love to that person specifically. Most of the time, we'll speak truth, we speak love, to about 50 other people before we go to that person. Speak the truth in love to that person. Now, speak the truth in love to that person after you have prayed over it. I got a little phrase I like to use in our board meetings. I call it prayed over opinions. I'll listen to any prayed over opinion. But if you just got something you think, and you really haven't thought it through too much, and you haven't prayed over it, and you really haven't found a scripture to back it up yet, just yeah, keep that one to yourself. Wait till you can confirm that with the Lord. Wait till you can confirm that with some scripture. And I will gladly listen to any prayed over opinions. So I want to speak truth and love to the person after I have prayed over it. Next, I want to equip them, not whip them. I want to encourage them, not discourage them. And I want to gain a brother, not gain an enemy. If you do this, you will have excellent right truth words on your lips. Speak the truth in love to the person over equipping, encouraging, and gaining a brother and not gaining an enemy. Guys, it's, it's, it's that straightforward. That's all Bible. One other quick thing I want to say on this. Be careful of being the safe spot. And what's the safe spot? The safe spot is you're not the person saying anything. But you're the person that everybody knows they can come and say things to. And you, you, won't, you won't jump in. You'll just let them talk. You'll let them, and I've heard people say this over the years. You know, I just, I just kind of let them talk a little bit. Be careful with being that safe spot because what happens is in conversations when somebody is listening to you and they're nodding, mm, oh, mm-hmm. oh, I got an agreement. I just need another person on my side. Sometimes the safe spot is, you know what, I need to stop you right now and I need to admonish you. Um, you. You need to just go talk to that person rather than talk to me about what you think you need to say to that person. And we need to pray right now for this person and I need to remind you to equip them not whip them, encourage them, not discourage them. And the best thing we can do is really just let this conversation go right now. We have to be willing to do that as well, too. Because I tell you, the body of Christ, we are the temple. And I tell you, 1 Corinthians 3.17, you don't want to take a sledgehammer to the temple. God says no. We can speak the truth. We can speak in love to the person prayed over, equipping them, encouraging them, and hopefully gaining a brother. Let's watch our words and all that we say and do. Let's jump back now to Proverbs 8. This wisdom that we're supposed to have now in our lips, how does it look? Verse 10. Receive my instruction and not silver and in knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies and all the things one may desire cannot be compared with her. Jump down if you will to verse 18. Riches and honor are with me, enduring riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold. Yes, than fine gold. And my revenue than choice silver. I traverse the way of righteousness in the midst of the paths of justice. That I may cause those who love me to inherit wealth. That I may fill their treasures. Wisdom is riches. And I'm not talking earthly riches. I'm talking biblical wisdom that you now look at the day and you say, you know what? Wisdom, I didn't say anything I shouldn't have said today. I feel blessed. Wisdom, I can go to bed at night because I sought the Lord today on every conversation, every interaction I had. Wisdom, I'm living a life that's righteous in God, doesn't mean I'm sinless, doesn't mean I'm perfect, but I have peace in this because I'm walking in God's wisdom and that is worth more than any material that we could ever give us. It's more valuable than gold, silver, precious. The wisdom of that. We as a society, though for some reason, really elevate riches. I remember growing up as a kid, remember that show that used to be on Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous? You just watched the show of rich people. That's what you did. now I can remember as a kid, I was not that old, and we just watched what they had. And then you can go to the store and buy magazines. Fixer-up shows all the time on TV. Or it's just like, you know what, we can do it better. And you just sit there, oh, wow, that's amazing. Then you look at your living room with 20-year-old carpet, and you're like, oh, I have the worst house in the world. Man. And somebody told me this joke one time. I never forgot it. The name of the magazine is Better Homes and Gardens. Your home is not good enough. Here's a better home. Buy a magazine to watch a better home. So, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. God says, I don't really care about that in anything whatsoever. I'm going through the book of Amos right now. And one of the things in Amos is your ivory palaces. They would take ivory and make furniture out of ivory. And God says, I could care less about ivory. He goes, you're not following me. I started thinking about this. What happened if they had a show that was called uh, Lifestyles of the Wise? Would we watch that? Probably not. It's just a show about Fred making a wise decision. You see him praying over something, fasting, reading a verse, getting godly counsel. Then you see Fred go make the wise decision. Would we watch a half hour of that? No, it's all boring. That's probably what the TV in heaven's turned to, is watching Fred make wise decisions. Because God says, that's more valuable than anything down here on this earth. Understand the value of wisdom. This is the purpose of Proverbs 8. This is kind of like the first seven chapters of Proverbs. Solomon, through the Spirit, is saying, okay guys, we're getting ready now to start the little Proverbs nuggets. This is my last teaching on wisdom. It's amazing. You want this. You desire this. You, you have to live this out. Diligently seek it. Seek it in faith. And, and get out there and apply it. It's more valuable than anything. Verse 12. I, wisdom, dwell with the prudence and find out knowledge and discretion. Prudence is a really interesting word. This idea of judgment. Wisdom applied in life. It carries the idea in the original language of being careful with your wisdom because there's trickery out there. Reminds me a little bit of what Jesus said in Matthew 10. Be wise as serpents, but peaceful as doves. you got to be wise in the world, too. There's a wisdom of God, but then there's a wisdom of how to apply that wisdom. And that's what prudence is carrying. And why do we need this wisdom? Because there's evil out there. Take a look at 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance in the evil way. and the perverse mouth, I hate Counsel is mine, sound wisdom I am understanding, I have strength By me kings reign and rulers decree justice By me princes rule and nobles All the judges of the earth Wisdom, the value of it And the first thing wisdom wants to teach you Verse 13, fear God enough to hate evil If you weren't with us last week We talked about God hating things And we always picture God as a God of love And he is a God of love But he also hates sin He hates evil and one of the things that he hates right here is the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. The first one you see is pride, arrogance, evil way. As we mentioned last week, God can work with murderers, that's Moses. He can work with adulterers, that's David. He can work with liars, that's Jacob. He can't work with pride. When you are so prideful and you have it all figured out, and we're going to get to this in just a couple of weeks, this idea of a scoffer. They're so smart, they listen to no other wisdom. God says, I hate it. I hate that pride that is leading you and guiding you. I'm just going to be honest with you guys, myself included. Most Christians don't hate evil. We laugh at evil. We find evil funny. We flirt with evil. We spend our money to watch evil, listen to evil, be around evil because it makes us smile. Maybe we're bothered by evil, but we really don't hate evil. We really don't. And keep it simple. Whatever God loves, we should love. Whatever God hates, we should hate. And this is not just a simple one verse in the Bible thing. This is repeated again and again throughout the entire Bible. This concept of hating evil. Psalm 97.10 says this. You who love the Lord hate evil. How simple is that? Amos 5 says this. Hate evil, love good. I love that hate evil love good. Romans 12:9, abhor what is evil. Abhor, it's only used one time in the Bible. It's a really interesting Greek word. It means to be in horror of. That there's an evil that you see and you're just it's evil. This goes against the nature of God, and this is not glorifying to him, and I want nothing to do with this. Now, once again, you still love people. You still represent the gospel to the lost. But you hate anything that is evil. And verse 13, that's the fear of the Lord, that I fear God enough to say that that issue is evil, and I don't want to be near it, I don't want to be around it, and I don't want pride, I don't want arrogance. Look at verse 13, the perverse mouth I hate. Lord, I want my words to be glorifying to you. Lord, help me to have a holy hatred of evil, but yet still love people. That's a hard thing to do sometimes. You know the person that has modeled it the best? Jesus Christ. Tell you, I tell you, always be in the Gospels as much as you can. There's a reason there's four of them. Be in the Gospels. Just keep seeing the nature of Jesus. He wasn't here to whip people. He was here to equip. He wasn't here to discourage. He was here to encourage. He was here to take people deeper into a relationship with him. Did he speak truth? You bet he did. You bet he did. He told the woman, caught in adultery, go and sin no more. But he also told the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you sons of the devil. He knew how to speak truth and love at the same time. And I tell you about being a man of prayer, that guy was praying all the time. What a great example of seeing evil and saying, what can I do to help? What can I do to help here? Let's kind of keep this going here. Now, verse 22 to 31. I'm going to read it straight through. Because verses 22 to 31 is a great passage of wisdom always being there. Being there from the beginning of time. Being there from creation. And I want you to remember this. I read this in a commentary as I was preparing this message. That Proverbs 8 is wisdom as heaven came down to earth. The wisdom of heaven came down to earth. Because verses 1 through 5 deal with wisdom on this earth. But 22 through 31 deals with the wisdom that's in heaven. And just don't let this point go over your heads. God says the wisdom that I had at the beginning of time. That I used to create the universe. I want to give to you. The wisdom that Jesus walked in on this earth as God yet man, I want to give to you. I want to have my presence, the Holy Spirit, God in you. That's amazing. This is the real deal, the original wisdom. And God says, I want you guys to have it. And that's what he says here, starting in 22. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way, before his works of old. I have been established from everlasting, from the beginning, before there was ever an earth. Where there were no depths, I was brought forth. Where there were no fountains abounding with water. Before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. While as yet he had not made the earth or the fields or the primal dust of the world. When he had prepared the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle in the face of the deep. When he established the clouds above. When he had strengthened the fountains of the deep. When he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters would not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him. As a master craftsman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and my delight was with the sons of men. Wisdom wants to be with you, wisdom wants to lead you, guide you, direct you, and you just have to say, I want to diligently in faith seek it. And God will lead you, guide you, and direct you. Let's finish this up, 32. Now, therefore, listen to me, my children. You almost see this idea of a father going over and putting his hand around his son, his shoulder, saying, now now listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. You're going to be happier in life. You're going to be blessed in life if you walk in wisdom. Hear instruction and be wise. Listen to this. Mark it. Underline it. Live it. Memorize it. Do not disdain it. Disdain it. Don't refuse it. Don't ignore it. Don't neglect it. Don't disregard it. Listen to it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the post of my doors. Wisdom wants to have a relationship with you. Wisdom wants to lead you, guide you, direct you. You just have to decide whether you want to listen to that wisdom. 35, for whoever finds me, finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who sins against me wrongs his own soul, and those who hate me love death. Pretty straightforward right there. Take a look at 34 with me. Listening, watching, waiting. Let those words sink in. Listening to him, watching daily, waiting. That's wisdom. Lord, I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to watch where you want to lead me, and I'm going to wait, and I'm going to be patient as you move and work in my life. Listening, watching, waiting. Wisdom is there when you diligently in faith seek it. Guide you in all ways. It will protect your heart. It will protect your mouth. It will protect your life. You will be blessed. And from what happens now, really, from really about Proverbs 9 on, mostly in chapter 10, now it's these little nuggets of wisdom. Because through the Spirit, Solomon has laid the foundation of what wisdom is. Now we can take these nuggets and say, okay, I'm going to apply it to my life. And what does this look like in my daily practical living for the Lord? Worship team, we can come forward here for the final song. let's pray this into our lives Lord we want this wisdom and if there's someone here today that is seeking you for something diligently show them and faith show them as they diligently and faith seek you Lord let wisdom be on our lips and all that we say and do let wisdom be in our heart let wisdom guide us and bless us Lord help us to value it more than anything we thank you, we praise you and we love you And, Lord, just one more time, we just give you Jonathan and Heidi and their new adventure down south. Just bless them. And, Lord, I know there will be a blessing to so many, and we're thankful for the years that we had in the season. Go before the day in all ways, Lord, for your glory. And we just think of next weekend, the prayer conference. We think of just the uh, harvest party, times of fellowship, times of training and encouragement. Bless those, and bless those people involved with it. Thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen.